Promises, promises. And uh, if, you, uh, if you, we're starting a brand new series. If you're a guest here today, you're at the very front end of our, our, our new movie uh, we're going to be doing for the next three weeks. And uh, let's just go ahead and be honest. You know, uh, if you've ever said this phrase, promises, promises, you know, with that cynical tone, you know, yeah, right, promises, promises, go ahead and raise your hand if you've ever said it like that. Okay, these are all the cynical people in the room. I, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. All right, yeah, people, you know how when they go on and on and on and they say, oh, yeah, I promise and I'm going to do this for you and I'm going to do this, and you're going, yeah, right. You know, promises, promises. So, you know, we're starting a brand new series on this, and we're going to talk about this for three weeks. And uh, promises, you know, in our society, you, you got to ask the question, have they really, do they really hold on any water? You know, and, and the truth is promises have lost a place in our society today because we really don't believe people when they tell us stuff. You know, when they, they, they make a commitment and they make a vow or they make an oath or they give you their word, you go, okay, well, let's see, you know, let's see if that, that really plays out. In fact, you know, uh, when you're a kid, when you're a little kid, you go around and you say, hey, I promise. And when somebody says that to you when you're a kid, you take them at their word, right? And you go, yeah, that's big. Uh, but when you're an adult, when, how many, when's the last time you told somebody as an adult, you promise? I promise. We don't do that anymore, right? We moved from I promise to, hey, can I get that in writing? <laughs> we, we moved from, you know, making a pinky promise to sign right here. You know, that's, that's how things have changed. Uh, and, and, and people have changed so much about making commitments and making promises, keeping their word. And it's so important because whether you know it or not, whether maybe in our society today, promises have lost their value, lost their place, they're still so important in our relationships. And, and particularly our relationship with God. So it's very important, and I want to encourage you to be here for all three weeks. Uh, and if you, you miss a week for some reason, you know, you get sick or whatever, and I want to say hi to the people online. Hey, guys, you should be here, and I don't know where you are, at the beach or wherever, but, you know, we'll, we'll forgive you. But you can go to our, our website, and you can watch. And I believe uh, Ronnie just set up a, a YouTube channel. Uh, so we're going to have all of, our, all of our lessons moved over from the Ustream version, and there won't be any commercials. Isn't that awesome, you know? When you're watching, and you're, right, you're right there, and then all of a sudden this awkward commercial comes on. We're going to do away with that. So all of our lessons are going to be on the YouTube channel, so you can get the link from there. A lot of good stuff at our, at our website. But promises, this is a huge word. It carries a lot of weight in our relationships in our society. And the real question is, when you hear that word promises, do they does it really mean anything anymore? You know, and, and sometimes we look at promises like rules as we get older. They're made to be broken. I mean, isn't that sad? You know, and, and, and in a lot of ways, you know, when, when someone makes a promise to us, we really question them and we doubt them. And that, that's a sad state of affairs. So, Today we want to begin an, an honest evaluation of how we feel about promises and the effect that it's had on our relationships. 
And, and here's one of the things that's happened is, you know, those infomercials, and they promise, and they oftentimes in the infomercials, they get somebody really famous, somebody who's older maybe. You know what you, they usually do? They get an older lady who looks like your grandmother because you, they think you'll trust her. But they know you don't because they give you this, this symbol, this, this seal, we'll give you your money back. You know why they use this seal? Because they know you don't trust them. All those promises that that product carries, they know they got to back it up with a 100% money back guarantee because they know you don't trust their promises. And so it's really, you know, a statement of how things operate today. And so here, here is one of the principles that we're going to be looking at, and this is how you need to understand the effect that promises have on our relationships. Promises are the invisible currency in our relationships. We're exchanging constantly commitments and promises with people, and based on those fulfillment of those promises and those commitments, guess how you define your relationships? Even at work, you know, you can look at somebody at work and say, you know, or at school and say, hey, if this person fulfills their word and they keep their word, then we're going to have a good relationship. If they don't, if someone at work says they're going to get the job done and they don't get the job done, guess what that does to your relationship? It separates it. It redefines your relationship with them. In family, when someone has broke their promise over and over and over again, what happens to that relationship? And it's, it's unspoken and it's spoken. A lot of times we go around saying that we're going to do things and then we don't do it. And it affects the people around us. And not only that, it affects our faith. It's a huge deal. And we're doing it all the time, guys. We're doing it all the time. We're exchanging promises, whether they're spoken or unspoken. You're doing it, and you don't even realize it. And it affects our relationships. It affects our faith. And so that's why it's so important that we go over this, this series and we talk about this. Because if you want to have great relationships, in particular, if you want to have a great relationship with God, you've got to ask yourself the question, how do I see promises? In the broken promises that I have in my life, how is that affecting my faith? And here's an interesting thing. If you go and track your whole life, all of us, all of us move in the directions of promises we believe. I mean, we can go back and look at the, the history of your life and you can track how you moved along in your life and all the promises that you trusted and you believed, guess what? You followed that trail. And all the promises that were broken, guess where you went? The opposite direction. I'm not going this direction anymore. And so you can tell how you've tracked your life based on promises that you either believed and then were fulfilled and you followed that path or that were broken and you went a totally different direction. And here's the truth about promises. They will define the direction of your life. Because when someone breaks a promise with you, it changes who you are. Did you know that? I mean, you're not the same person anymore. And that's why this is such a huge issue that we've got to talk about for the next few weeks. Because you're not even aware of it. It defines you. And you've got to, you've got to embrace it and, and, and deal with it. Broken promise, promises, they change us. 
You know how you used to be when you were a kid? You used to trust people, right? You used to believe in people. And as parents, we got to be careful when we make promises to our kids or even allude to promises. You know, when we say, well, maybe later we'll go get ice cream. What are the children here? What do they hear? No, 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 you promised. No, 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 I didn't say promise. I said, maybe, maybe we'll go get ice cream. Or we might go get ice cream. I said might and I said maybe. No, 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 no. Parents don't, kids don't hear that. Kids hear, you promised. Right? And so we got to be careful with our kids, right? And you know what happens with kids if they've lived their whole life with broken promises. How does it affect their future? And how is it going to affect their relationships with people as they move down the line. And guess what? I know there are some of you here today who your lives are different because of the promises that were either fulfilled or were broken in your life. And so we're going to be talking about this. And uh, here's here's one of the things that we're going to look at. Growing faith is not about making more promises to God, but believing more in the promises of God. And this is where we got to understand, when, when you've lived your whole life with broken promises, it affects your faith in God. You're no longer a person of faith. You are a person of misgiving and, and distrust. So can you really have a relationship with God when your life is riddled with broken promises? Can you really put your heart out there and trust God? When in reality, he had nothing to do with those broken promises that you've lived your life. Those were people. And so sometimes we think, man, I'm going to grow my faith by making more commitments or more promises to God. In reality, he's already made the promises, and we need to trust and believe more in the promises of God. And we approach it from an opposite direction. So we're going to talk about one person in particular. But if you're one of those people in life that's been, you know, misled and a lot of people have broken promises with you, if you're one of those people that have been affected by that, you're in good company when you open the scriptures. You know why? Because the Bible is filled with people whose promises they felt were broken. Let's start off with Abraham. Abraham was told by God that you're going to have many, many offspring. He was 99 years old. Did he have an offspring yet? Nope. So what do you think he was feeling during that time? And his wife, Sarah, she was 88 or 89 years old. And God was telling her, hey, you're going to have a child. And she hadn't had a child yet. So what do you think she was doing with her faith in God? In fact, an angel, Gabriel, came to her and visited her, or a group of angels came and visited her and told her, hey, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. You know what she did? She laughed at him. And then they called her on it, and she said, no, I didn't laugh. So she laughed and lied. (laughs) Not a good thing. So we move move on. Then there's Moses. You know, Moses was called by God. He felt called by God earlier on, but it didn't work out. So he had to run away for 40 years. Then after 40 years, he's 80 years old. God calls him and says, hey, I'm going to use you to liberate the people from Egypt. Then he does it, and then he's got this promise that I'm going to go to the promised land with the people of God. And then there was another 40 years of wandering around in the desert. I mean, 
these promises for these people, it took a while for them to be fulfilled. And then, then we've got one more, David. David was anointed as a king. A prophet, Samuel, poured oil on his head and said, you're going to be the king of Israel. But for seven years, he had to run like a criminal for his life. So did everything work out the way these guys wanted? No, it didn't. But the challenge that they had to navigate their faith, and then after David, you had all the prophets, and the prophets started talking about the coming of a Messiah, the coming of the chosen one, the king. And there were two promises that the prophets made, and one prophet in particular, Isaiah, he made a prophet that, number one, there was going to be a forerunner before the prophet or before the Messiah. There was going to be a forerunner. And his name, and this is the guy who we're going to look at today, his name is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, and i got to tell you the story because it's an incredible story about how he was born. Zechariah was one of the priests, and he served in the temple. And one day he was doing his service, and him and his wife Elizabeth were an older couple. And guess what? They had no children. Elizabeth couldn't have children. She was older as a woman. Could you imagine the number of times that Elizabeth prayed for a child and didn't see her prayers answered? And then one day, as they're an older couple, Zach is in the, in the temple. He's offering, you know, the offering before God. And an angel, Gabriel, appears before him and said, Hey, Zach, you're going to have a child. And so Zachariah questioned the angel. He says, how do I know this is going to happen? Man, let me tell you, if you get visited by an angel and an angel tells you something, do not question the angel. So Zachariah got put on mute for nine months. Nothing. Zip. You'll be muted. We like to do that with some people we know, right? Mute them for nine months. But the incredible thing is, Later on, as this thing tracks out, Elizabeth is pregnant. She's an older woman. God fulfills his promise. She's an older woman. And then guess, an angel visits another woman, a younger woman, and her name is Mary. And the angel Gabriel tells Mary, Mary, you're going to have a child. And you're not going to just have any child. Elizabeth, you're going to have the forerunner of the Messiah. And Mary, you're going to have the chosen one of God, the Messiah. Could you imagine? Hundreds of years, the prophets are talking about the coming of the forerunner and then coming of the Messiah. And both babies are born. And, and before, before the babies are born, Mary goes and visits. You've got to read this story. It's an incredible story because you can't make this stuff up. Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, you know, is like, like uh, Ayumi, right? <laughs> Not big, but pregnant. And so Mary goes and visits pregnant Elizabeth, and the child leaps in Elizabeth's womb when, she's, when, when Mary's there. And she's like, whoa, the baby's leaping. Probably hurt a lot. But, but there was a connection there. The baby leaped because the, the mother of the Messiah was in his presence. And so both babies are born, and then John the Baptist, and this is the guy who we're going to look at today, he gets about to be about 20 years old, and he is the one who was called by God to be like in the spirit of Elijah. And Elijah was a wild man. 
And Elijah used to dress in, in, in animal hair. And so John the Baptist basically leaves his house. He goes out into the wilderness. He's wearing camel's hair and a leather belt. And guess what his diet is? Locusts and honey. That's it. And it's a, he's a wild man, and he starts, he starts paving the way. He's the forerunner, and he starts preaching, and he starts teaching, and people, he's got a following, a huge crowd of people that are coming and listening to John the Baptist. And then look at what happens. He's got such a following. There's so many crowds. The teachers of the law, they hear this whole story of how he was born and what's happening, and they have a question for John the Baptist. Finally, they said, who are you, John? What's the deal? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? The question really was, hey, John, are you the Messiah? Because there's a lot of stuff that's tracked up into your life and how you were born and how everything, this is not normal. And even the way you dress and your message and how you're preaching, this is not normal. Who the heck are you, John? And he answers. John replied with these words. In the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Okay, you got to think about what John is saying here. John is quoting the prophet Isaiah, I am the one, the forerunner. I mean, you got to imagine the confidence that John the Baptist is feeling right here. To be able to go back hundreds of years and go, what that prophet said, I'm the one that fulfills that prophecy. And so he's, he's got a lot of confidence. He's got a lot of faith. Things are happening. There's a huge crowd. And he goes on and he says in verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming. Now here's where it gets really exciting. He saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's like this. He sees Jesus coming, he says, and he's the one to declare it because you got to remember, Jesus came from Nazareth. He might have looked just like everybody else. But John the Baptist calls him out. He says, guys, this is something that has been prophesied for all of us for hundreds of years, in some cases a thousand years. There he is. He's the one. He's the Lamb of God. And everybody steps back and goes, whoa, this is it. You've got the forerunner in the spirit of Elijah, and then you've got the Messiah, and it continues. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water is that he might be revealed to Israel. Basically, he's saying, guys, this is the reason why I'm here. This is the whole reason for my existence, to forerun Jesus, to forerun the Messiah. And he goes on and he says, John gave them this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And what he's talking about is John the Baptist. Now, this is, a, this is a really cool. John the Baptist baptizes the Messiah. I mean, think about the significance of your life. You are the baptizer of the Holy One, the King of Kings, the, the, the Messiah. You get to baptize him. And it was quite a baptism. 
After Jesus comes up out of the water, there's, there's this thing that looks like a dove. It's the Spirit of God, and it comes down on Jesus. And not only that, a voice, as Matthew quotes it in his gospel, he says there was a voice that came from heaven that day at Jesus' baptism, and the voice said this, this is my son, in him I am well pleased. Whoa, think about John the Baptist. I mean, he's there, and he's a part of all of this, and wow, and from this day forward, as all this stuff happened, guess what happened to John's following? His huge following got a little smaller. Because as he's saying, hey, there's Jesus, and this is the one, most of his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, started following Jesus. Two in particular that we know about are John and Andrew. And so, you know, it, things start changing a little bit for John the Baptist. And he went ahead and said it. I must become less. He must become greater. But he's still being used by God powerfully. Jesus is doing his ministry. He's preaching and teaching and he's healing and he's doing incredible things. And John the Baptist is still out in the wilderness and he's preaching and he's, and he's going for it. He's, he's teaching it. He's going for it. And he says this, I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me this man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain on, remain is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen one. Amen. I mean, imagine if you were the one to be able to tell everybody, this is Jesus. This is the Messiah. So you got to know John the Baptist is feeling huge, huge amounts of confidence. And he continues his ministry in both of them. And so the movement is launched. Jesus is out preaching and teaching, and he's got his disciples, and John the Baptist is still out in the wilderness. But then something happens. One day, as John the Baptist is out in the wilderness, a king shows up, and his name is Herod. And John is fearless. And he knows Herod's life. Herod took his brother's wife. His brother wasn't dead, his brother Philip. He just said, I want your wife, and I'm a king, and I can take her. So he took his wife and made her his wife. And so John calls him out in the desert. And you, this is one thing you do not do. You do not call out a king in public or in private. And they gave you the right, if you challenge a king or you call out a king, they, no court session, no nothing. They just take you and they cut off your head right there. You do not challenge a king. But John the Baptist challenges Herod. And because Herod's afraid of John, he doesn't kill him on the spot. He has him arrested and put in prison. So things take a change. They take a turn in John's life. And so you've got to wonder what's going on in John's heart. Okay, and we re re read on. Matthew, and this is Matthew's account. He goes, you know, and after John had spent some time in prison, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him a question. And this, this question is going to tell you a lot about John's state of mind. 
So he calls, you know, he's in prison. I don't know if it was visitation or how it worked out, but he calls two of his disciples and he says, hey, I need, I need you guys to come over here and send a question to Jesus. And here's what the question is. He goes on and says, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? What do you think about this question? Where's John's confidence at? If there's anybody in the scriptures, if there's anybody that should be in this place, that should not be in this place, it's John the Baptist. I mean, think about it, his birth, everything that happened, how it lined up, the prophecies fulfilled and the lives that were changed. He should not be questioning if Jesus is who Jesus is. And I don't know why, but when we hear this question, guess what it does for us? It makes us feel better, doesn't it? Go ahead and say it. It makes you feel better, doesn't it? Why? Because you've asked this question many times maybe. Is this really, is this really the right path? Is, this is Jesus really the one who he said? And why do you think John had this change of heart? His circumstances. I mean, if you sit there in, in, in prison walls for long enough, you start to question a lot, right? And here's the reason what happened with John is basically this. John began to presume upon the promises of God. John had a script that was his script. This is how it's supposed to be. Now, God has his script, right? Now, as John's looking at his script, he's looking through here and he's going, hey, there's nothing in here in my script that has anything to do with prison or being arrested. It's not in here. It's not in my script. This, this is not the way I planned it. I thought I was supposed to be married now with children. I thought my children were supposed to be healthy. I thought I was supposed to keep my job. I thought things were supposed to work out differently. I thought I was supposed to stay married. This isn't the way I thought my life was going to turn out. I mean, my health is going bad. My finances are in the toilet. This isn't how I scripted it. And so guess what he's doing? He's presuming his script on God. And he's saying, God, you haven't fulfilled your promises. His script mentioned nothing about all this stuff. Guess who else does that? We do. You know, I didn't plan for my children to do this bad. I didn't plan for my life to turn out this way. And I thought God promised. We get like little children, you know, with God. Hey, no, God, you promised me. And, and God didn't promise you that. See, you promised yourself that. You presumed upon the promises of God, and we got to be careful with that. Had God not fulfilled his promises with John the Baptist? No, he absolutely fulfilled it, but it wasn't the way he thought it was going to work out. See, he thought that he was going to be going down the road with John the Baptist, and they were going to be there together, you know, riding in a chariot. Jesus is the king, and I'm his sidekick. How did you script your life? How did you think things were going to work out? And then you want to blame God for it. 
Here's the thing. A fragile faith is attached to our presumptions. But a stable faith is attached to God's promises. And the ones that he makes and not extending them out thinking that he said, just like little kids, no, 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 God, you said, you said. Did he really say that? And so you've got to ask yourself the question, where's your faith at? And some of you, I know, you've got some stories. Some people have broken promises in your life, and you blame God. Maybe you lost someone really close to you, some real hurts in your life, and you think it's God's fault. You, you've, you've, been, you've been broken, and your confidence and your trust because you thought it would work out differently. And that's why your faith is fragile. How can you grow in a growing relationship with God when your faith is built on the presumptions, your own presumptions, and not on God's promises? And so we've got to separate these two things out. And here's one promise that you can trust about God, and it's firm and it's strong and it'll never be moved, and that is the promise of Jesus Christ, his death, and his resurrection. That is the one event that is unchanging and that defines how God feels about you and that he's on your side, that he believes in you and he will be there at the end of your life if you put your trust in him. See, and this is one of the things we need to put our trust in God, not in our circumstances because our circumstances are going to change. I mean, I thought I'd be wealthy by now. I thought I would be this. I thought my kids would be this. I thought, I thought it would be in this situation. I didn't know it would turn out this way. Again, my script is not the way I thought it would. Just like in our relationships, before we can move forward, we got to look back. And so that's one thing I'm going to challenge you to do today. One thing is I'm going I'm to challenge you to look back. Because you can't move forward. You can't keep, you know, making promises to God, thinking that, oh, I'm going to grow my faith and grow my faith. No, 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 you've got to look at your broken faith and how you feel people have let you down or you've presumed upon the promises of God. You've got to look back and answer some questions. Broken promises affect, the broken promises of our past make it difficult to trust in the future. And whether you know it or not, if people have broken their promises with you, it's going to affect other relationships, whoever in the future. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a a close friend. How are you going to have a functional relationship with somebody in the future if you don't deal with the broken promise of the past? Because what we do is we compound those fractures Those broken promises, we compound them and we bring them into our future relationships. That's why when you run into somebody who's very distant, you know how they're very distant and they're standoffish and you can't build a relationship with them. There's so much distrust and you're like, hey, I just want to be your friend. And they're like, nah, I got enough friends. I'm good. We can be acquaintances. And you know, and they may not say that, but you feel it. You know why they are that way? because they've been changed. And it makes it difficult to trust people in the future. 
You're no longer a trusting person. Did you know that? Do you know why? You're so distrustful and why you're, you're critical and you're negative and you're hardened. You can't love. Oh, well, I can love somebody else. When they, when they fulfill their promise, I'll love them. No, you won't. You can have the perfect person. You can have God in your life. You won't trust him the same way unless you deal with your baggage. And we always say that. He's got baggage. She's got baggage. So I want to challenge you this week to deal with your baggage, to deal with your script and separate it from God's script. Because God doesn't promise us. So I've got two questions for you, two questions that I'm going to leave you with today. Number one is, what unresolved broken promises are in my past? And these are on your newsletter, but I really want you to, to spend some time. I want to encourage you to spend some time. Even the teens, you can say, well, man, I'm young and nothing's happened to me. Hey, your parents have maybe let you down. Maybe a friend at school. And to have a conversation with somebody you're close to and say, hey, this is where I'm at. And then make a pivotal decision to forgive and forget. That was a person. That was a situation. That's not God. And that broken promise will not define me or my faith. That's so big to say that. So I want to encourage you to do that. And then number two is, what areas of your life do I have a difficult time surrendering to God? What areas of my life or in your life do you have a difficult time surrendering to God? I see this a lot in the church. You know how people half-step? And I'm going to talk to our members here for a minute. If you're a guest, just going to put you a pause. Check your email or something if you need to. Check your text because I need to talk to our members. Why are some of you half-committed? Why are some of you, you know, you, you, you'll come to church a little, but your faith group, you're not really all in with your faith group. You're not really all in in some areas of your devotion and your commitment to God and his church. Why is that? Well, somebody let me down in my past. Oh, really? So that justifies you stiff-arming everybody else? And that justifies you stiff-arming your small group? An environment of trust, an environment where people put in their heart and they're investing their heart in you and they're trying to help you and you're just, hey, you're posing for the, for the Heisman Trophy. You're stiffing arm, you're stiff arming everybody in your relationships. They try to help you and you're like, hey, 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 back up. I got my own faith. And you will say even this, I know that the Bible says that, but I think I'm an exception. I think it really doesn't fit in this category. And we got to start talking about this stuff. Because your lack of trust and your, your, your attitude and your spirit affects everybody else. It affects you. I mean, 
The question is, why wouldn't you ask these questions? Why wouldn't you deal with this stuff so you can have great relationships in the future, so you can have a great devotion to God and his people and a vision that he has for your life? Why wouldn't you do that? Do you really want to spend the rest of your Christian life half devoted, hardened, and you know it? You didn't get baptized for that reason. You promised God that you were going to give your whole life to him. Now there's some baggage that's come out, and you're not dealing with it. I mean, let's be real here. We're adults in the room, right? Why are you hiding behind your hurts? It's time for you to face them and turn back to God. He has been faithful to your promise, to his promises You've presumed upon him, and what people have done to you should not justify you separating yourself to new people and to God. So ask these questions, guys. Again, growing in our faith is not about making more promises to God, but believing more in the promises of God. So let's wrap this up. We've been talking about the spiritual fitness test. Some of you are... You're, you're stiff-arming the, the fitness test. It's on our website. You're like, ah, I don't know if I want to do that. Really? Why? Don't you want to have a growing relationship with Christ? I mean, that's all that's outlined right there. Why? Why wouldn't you do that? Why won't you do that? I guess the real issue is you're not a trusting person. You're not embracing opportunity for growth and change. So I want to encourage you to deal with that, all right? So let's wrap this up. And as I said here, why, why wouldn't it be worth it examining why you're holding back your trust? Man, trust is such, such a valuable commodity in a relationship. I mean, we exchange it. Why wouldn't you want to have trust in a relationship? Because it makes it whole. It makes it real. Can you really have a good relationship when there's no trust? Well, trust has been broken. Well, it's time for you as an adult to rebuild it and starting with God. All right, so let's wrap this up. I'm going to give you a, a promise principle. Promise principle number one as we, we deal with this. And it's this promise. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Part of this whole promise, this whole, this whole deal with recovering from broken promises is coming near to God. And, and, and how do you do it? You do it on a practical basis. If you're here as a guest, I want to encourage you to talk to somebody who invited you. Some of you have been coming a long time. You know what that means. It's not enough just to come to church and sit in a pew and say amen or be here and then leave. That's not a relationship with God. I'm talking about a daily prayer life where you talk to him, you read his word, you reach up to him, and, and you have relationships with other people. And here's another one, same promise. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings. I mean, that's why we're here, right? We want full assurance. But you can't have that unless you deal with some of the broken promises in your life. Now, I can't leave you hanging with John the Baptist there in prison and he's doubting, right? Jesus had something to say, and I'd, I'd like us to look at that. I'm not, it's not on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you because Jesus had to answer John the Baptist. 
And the story didn't end there. And so here's what Jesus said to those messengers who asked him the question, are you really the one to come, John the Baptist, or Jesus? Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? And that's hard words. Here's what Jesus replied back. He replied, go back and report to John, Matthew 11, verse 4. Go back and report to John what you have heard, what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on the account of me or on the account of anything else, John. Don't let anything or anyone separate you from God and his promises. Here's how the story ends. Jesus is telling him, John, I know it seems like it didn't work out the way you wanted, but my ministry is is exploding. In fact, this is going to play out for thousands of years. In the year 2014, there's going to be a group of people or groups of people that meet all over the world, and they're going to be talking about you, and they're going to be saying, you were the one. You were the one that brought it in. You ushered in Jesus. You're the one. And he, he encouraged John. He said, John, I know it's not going to end well for you. They're going to cut off your head. But let me tell you, you were the one. You helped me. You brought me in. And guess what, John? They're going to take my life too. But our death is going to speak so loud to people putting their hope in God. See, this script, it may not be the way we want it, but let me tell you, it changes lives for an eternity. I'm so inspired by John the Baptist. And Jesus even said it, among, among children born of men, there's nobody like John the Baptist. He was awesome. But guess what else he said in that same phrase? But the followers of the kingdom will be even greater than John. Now go read that. Go look that up. But I just want to tell you guys, God's script turns out awesome. So we're going to close out with a prayer. Come on back next week. It'll be much more encouraging as we learn about promises. But I want, to, I want to remind you guys, go back and be honest with yourself. Have conversations about your broken promises and your lack of trust and decide that you're going to be a person that trusts God from here forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for John the Baptist who hung in there. Thank you for Jesus, who encouraged John the Baptist, who encourages us. Thank you for his death and his resurrection. God, we pray that you'll heal our hearts and help us to put our faith in your promises, not in our circumstances. And I know there's some people here in the audience today, they're going through a really, really rough time. They're not sure if they're going to have money for the end of the month. They're not sure if their health is going to hold up. They're not sure, God, if their relationships are going to work out for the future. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. I pray, Father, that you will help them today to walk out of here with hope and to give and put their trust in your promises.
not in their circumstances. Help all of us who are followers of Jesus, God, who've already made our commitment and our promise not to half step. God, help us to repent and give you our whole life and fulfill the promise that we made when we said, Jesus is Lord. We love you, God. Bless our day today. Thank you for Jesus. We lift him up now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, God.